Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey everyone, it's Mary, your host for Leveling Up. Today's episode is with Mark Sinadella. He is, of course, the founder and CEO of Lead Resumes, as well as the founder and CEO of Ladders, the community for $100,000 plus careers. Mark is a nationally renowned thought leader on careers, career management, and recruiting. He's also frequently sought out by national media. He's been on all of the publications you're probably watching, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Wired, you name it. He's the former senior vice president at Hotjobs.com, which of course was acquired in 2002 for $436 million by Yahoo and Mark played a role in that acquisition. So today's interview is really about resumes, how you can think about your resume, how you can use your resume to actually drive your performance today in your current job, and how you can start to track your resume better even if you're not looking for a job. So Mark says that your role is to know your numbers and keep track of your numbers, and that's really a theme throughout the episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. Check out Leet Resumes. It is a free way for somebody who has done this with a lot of people to write your resume. You can, of course, give Mark and his team a tip, but this is a really great opportunity for you to get that resume out, get it fine-tuned, and even if you're not looking for your next role, to start thinking about what you should be tracking in your resume. So I hope you enjoy it. Make sure to check us out. We're at levelingup.co or getmarlo.com slash podcast. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone. I am your host today for Leveling Up, and I have with me Mark Sinadella, the founder of Leet Resumes. That's L-E-E-T Resumes. Mark is, of course, the founder of Ladders, and we're going to get into a little bit of his backstory today. Mark, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to get a little bit of a walkthrough of how you ended up launching Leet Resumes, especially after having had so much success with Ladders. Walk us through how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, great question. So the Biggest problem that we came across at, at Ladders when we were helping people get into high-end jobs, 100K uh, plus careers, over and over and over again was the quality of the resume. And people aren't great at writing the resume. They only do it once every four years. They don't study or train for it. They don't really know what's happening on the other side of their resume being sent. They don't know what's happening with the technology. They know what's happening with the screening process. They don't know what's happening as the hiring manager is reviewing the resume. And so as a result, more than 95% of resumes are poor, ineffective. And if you read online or you hear people complaining about the black hole in job applications, most often that can be traced back to a poor resume. So ladders, for a long time, we had our own resume writing. And the challenge there is, look, in order to have a full-time writer writing it and for the whole business to work, it ends up being a triple-digit price point, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, something of that nature. And the challenge is with the triple-digit price point, even though 95% of people need a resume, only 6% are going to uh, buy. And it's, look, it's somewhat rational. If you are only going to do something once every four years and you don't know what a good one looks like and you can't tell the difference between different resume vendors, it's a really hard purchase to pull out a credit card and, and you pay two or 300 bucks for something that you have that little uh, experience with. So the goal with Leet Resumes was to take that purchasing decision away from people. You don't have to think about it. We can get you what you really need, which is a great resume. So take that purchasing decision away from them 
write the resume and then have people experience the great resume on the other side and have a better outcome for their job search. So that's the idea behind Elite Resumes. I absolutely love the model. And it's something that I reached out to you immediately when I learned about it because resume writing is not fun for anyone, as you mentioned, and nobody knows how to do it, as you mentioned. I want to unpack some of the things that you just said there. Nobody knows what happens on the other side. You ship off this resume and then it goes into the black hole and then you never get a reply. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, like this company, that sucks that they didn't take the time to reply to me. What is happening in terms of the technology and the sourcing or reviewing, whatever you're willing to share of this secret sauce? Sure. I wish we were in a world where everybody had the time to understand how resumes work. I'm going to try to keep it secret. I, I spent a lot of time explaining on podcasts and TV interviews and three best-selling books, trying to get people to understand this. It will make the world a better place. So let's start with technology. First off, your resume is parsed by something called a resume parser, which is a component of the applicant tracking system. You may have heard of ATS when you're applying for jobs. And so every company uses some type of applicant tracking system to track applicants to their jobs. They just don't want them to pile up in a mailbox or print them off a printer and have to have people go through it manually. So they have an applicant tracking system. And as a component of that, there's a resume parser. The resume parser's goal is to put your resume into some type of computer-readable format. The difficulty for people is understanding, okay, how do computers read and how is that different from how humans read? And they're similar, but there are differences that are important. So some of the basics are you really need to keep your resume simple. Uh, There's currently a fad going on with two-column resumes, color on your resumes, and bar graphs on your resumes. And all three of those things hurt computer recognition and legibility of your resume for the world's resume parsers. So you might think column seems like a kind of obvious thing. How come a computer can't uh, figure it uh, figure it out? Well, it turns out that the way that's easy to display your resume, so when you're actually Microsoft Word creating columns, typically you're doing it in a table structure. The way that's easy for Microsoft Word to create and show those to you ends up being hard for computers to read. Those cells end up confusing a parser and sometimes your all of your years that you had your jobs in will be in one part of the resume and all of your experience will be in another. So look, you're not going to learn all the details about how computers read your resumes, but the key thing is keep it simple. One column, not a lot of fancy footwork on the fonts, not a lot of nesting bullet points. Just keep it simple and keep it in reverse chronological order, contact information at the top, a professional summary, your work experience, your education experience, and then keywords and technologies is the best way for computers to be able to read your resume. So that's step one. Make it easy for computers to read your resume. And that's the part that hopefully is not too complicated. We, you know, our listeners are are senior leaders. They've been around the block a few times. This isn't their first time writing the resume. And yet I know these are the people still coming to you and probably struggling. So what is it that makes it so difficult for an experienced professional to write about themselves in a way that's compelling to an employer? The challenge is that when we write a resume, we tend to write about what it felt like to be me. Hey, you're the one writing the document. You know, you you were there. So your tendency is, well, here, here's what my experience was. But a resume is an advertisement. It's an advertisement to your future boss to explain to your future boss why they ought to pick your resume out of the pile and interview you for a job. And so all advertising 
should really be geared towards the audience. So instead of writing what it felt like to be you, what you need to write about is what it felt like for someone to be your boss. It's a subtle distinction. When you're writing what it felt like to be you, you tend to write, well, here's all the projects I worked on. Here are the things that I was assigned. Here's kind of the chronological diary of my life or work life. It's not what a resume should be. What a resume should be is advertising to your future boss, the accomplishments and achievements that you've been able to display in your career that indicate that you can do the job that you're applying for, that you're hoping to get. And so what that means specifically is have accomplishments that are relevant to the job that you had and the jobs that you're uh, looking for. So instead of saying things like promoted to VP of Western Region, you say increased sales 37% in Western Region and was promoted. Instead of saying things like responsible for $7 million budget, instead you write increased efficiency by 75% optimizing the value of our $7 million budget. Always focus on the accomplishment and the achievement. Your future boss that you're advertising towards knows what the duties and responsibilities are in the job that you currently have. They've written those job descriptions. They've had those jobs. They don't need you to remind them what the job duties were. What they're interested in is, look, a lot of people could have had those job duties. A lot of people could have had that job title. What did you do that was different? Why was the company better? Why was your team better? Why were you successful at what you did? Because you were there. How did you achieve in that job, not just what were your duties in that job? You know, and a lot of these people, our listeners here, are people who are reviewing these resumes even. They're looking at hundreds HR of resumes. people are sometimes some of the worst offenders. Right. And and not probably just HR leaders, but also like managers in general, right? Who are looking yeah. through resume after resume. And then, yeah, let's psychoanalyze for a second, right? What's going on there that causes us to be so bad at it? Look, we all go to movies, but none of us can write scripts. Right. Except for a small sub-segment. Huge difference between being a consumer of information or entertainment and being a producer. And, you know, if you don't have training as a producer, you're not familiar with what folks are thinking on the other side. So look, you got to think, I am creating this for an audience. I need to inform and educate the audience about the product that they're looking to buy, which is my labor over the next few years. In terms of quality of resume, I've seen people who are marketing analysts have great resumes, and I've seen people who are CMOs have lousy ones. It's an equal opportunity affliction that people have. And often, sometimes, it's the smartest people who kind of end up overthinking it and outthinking themselves with the nested bullet points and the multiple columns and the fancy initial capitals and the colors on the resume. They're trying to make it into something pretty and interesting and unique that they enjoy looking at which again is much different from being effective as an advertisement to a future boss. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that most people don't do anything. They don't even look at their resume for four years until they look for that next job. Often we find that revisiting our resume is an opportunity to reflect on what we've done for the past four years. Is this the right way to go about it? It seems like it's probably not. The challenge is, of course, I would love people to review the resume with sensitivity and detail for 30 minutes every six months. That would be the perfect world. We don't live in a perfect world. And I've discovered it's somewhat hopeless to try to get people to do that because they just won't. So the probably the most effective thing that you could do and something that we do at Lead Resumes, either email yourself or set a calendar appointment for yourself every three or six months and write down in a file what are the one or two accomplishments you've had in the last three or six months? Often, you kind of you get to the end of your four or five or six years at a company, 
and somebody like me asks you, okay, well, what were your achievements? And you remember, you know, the last 12 months, but you certainly don't remember 2017, which seems like a lifetime ago at this, at this point. So the, probably the best and easiest favor you can do yourself is create that email that keeps coming back to you that you snooze and review every three or six months or the calendar appointment and just write down one sentence or two sentences in bullet point format about what you did over the last quarter or two quarters. That's a nugget that people really need to hang on to. So write down what you've done over the past couple quarters, even less would be better. More often would be better. Bullet points of what you've accomplished. Remember those numbers, right? It's not just about the, what you did. It's it's what you accomplished and then store them away for that rainy day when you're ready to start taking a peek. Not a rainy. Look, I'm in the resume business. Not a rainy day. It's a bright, sunshiny day. The bright, sunny day. The day day when you get to update your resume is the most wonderful day of your professional career. So I support that. I'm kind of in the opposite business, right? In the sense that I love it when people stay at their jobs because they realize it's a huge opportunity for them. And But that's why we're talking because the idea of using your resume just as a tool to find a new job is such a loss because a resume can be such an incredibly powerful tool. And just this act of going every quarter or two, like you mentioned, is incredible. But when we talked before, we talked a little bit about using goal setting and resume sort of prep in in tandem. And so I wanted to touch on that. How can our listeners start to think about their resume more regularly using OKRs, which was something yeah. that you had suggested? Yeah. So let's take a step back from what a, a resume is, uh, you know, being an advertisement to your future boss. It's a form of communication. And so as a professional in the US and Canada and the, or the world today, communicating effectively is part of your job. I know it sounds super obvious and simple, but a part of that communication is you have to communicate about your own career, your accomplishments, your prospects, your goals, your desires. And being able to communicate those effectively is it's not a nice to have as a professional. It is part and parcel of being a professional in 2021 or 2022. We used to have a different system, something closer to the lifetime employment system where you'd graduate college and you join a company. I mean, IBM and Procter and Gamble were kind of famous for this. And you didn't do your own career development. The personnel department did. And they would take you and they'd put take you from sales and move you into marketing and then move you internationally and then move you into production. And by the time you're 30 years in, you'd have this good, well, this great, well-rounded career. Maybe you're ready for something high up in the executive ranks. And maybe there was something wonderful about not having to make those decisions. Overall, as a society, we decided that that wasn't the best way to go. <laughs> the days when the company would tell you you're moving to Dallas and you know you got to be there by next month, go. We don't realize that that used to happen. That literally used to happen. And like you, you couldn't say no. You were just, you have to move. That was, that was how things work. So we decided that doesn't work and that'd be better for people to have control over their own, own careers, which I think is better for a whole bunch of reasons. But when you're in control of your own career, you're also responsible for picking where am I going next? How am I getting there? And how am I progressing within that job? All of those, where you're going, where you're going next, how am I progressing in your job require you to be able to communicate effectively. And so communicating effectively in the context of your career means being able to understand what other people are looking for and provide that to them in a concise and relevant format. So coming all the way back to how can you use your resume when you're not changing jobs? Look, each bullet point in your resume is communicating your success in a particular area or field over the course of a couple of quarters or a couple of years. And that's the same thing that you do in your annual review. And really the same thing that you should be doing in your one-on-one with your, your bosses over time, communicating your accomplishments and then asking, hey, what's, what's next? 
And so when you're thinking about communicating your accomplishments, it's important that it's not, well, you know, look, I, I really worked hard on that marketing campaign or, well, I've spent the last two months on the data migration. Those are facts. And that's true that you did that. But that's not how you should be communicating your one-on-ones. That's not what your boss wants to hear. The boss doesn't want to hear, okay, you spent two months on it. You're not here to just spend two months on the data integration. You're here to do it successfully. So you need to be able to change your communication style so that you're always communicating, hey, here's what I did successfully. And then as a side part of that, it's you know asking for help effectively and then figuring out, hey, what do I want to do next within the context of my job effectively? But the core part of it is being able to communicate what did I do effectively? So it's not, hey, I've been working on data integration the last two months, but look, we agreed on kind of here are the four milestones for the data migration. I've hit two of them, one on schedule, one behind schedule. We talked about why that one was behind schedule. The next two, I think I'm going to hit one ahead schedule and one behind schedule. Here's the reasons why. So always communicating in a structure that talks about what you've achieved for the company or your team or your boss or your, why it's important, why you're set back and how that's indicative of your abilities in your career. And that matters whether it's in one-on-ones with your boss or in reviews or your resume. And then how do you flip that? You know, we talked a little bit about goal setting. So it's one thing to look backward and say, here's what I've done. Here's what I've accomplished over the past couple of months. This is where OKRs or other types of goal setting are really valuable to be able to look forward and say, here's what I'd like to do over the next few months. Yeah. How does that tie in? Great question. So OKRs, objectives and key results, something I've been floating around the tech industry for last few decades. John Doerr, who's really kind of the popularizer of it, has written a great book, What Matters Most, which is phenomenal because the prior books available in the field were middling in quality. His is terrific. You'll almost feel it's overkill by the end, but it's really great to go all the way through to the end of the book. So objectives are, hey, what are my objectives? What do I want to do? And then the key results, how are we going to... And that measuring part is really important. Pick two or three goals on any particular team or for a company max two or three goals, and then have numbers, numerical goals, and numerical definition of those goals, those key results, that at the end of the time period, whether it's a month or a quarter or a year, we can say, yes, we did it, or no, we didn't do it. And highly prominent in the tech industry, and your success as a professional a little bit is fed by the level to which your professional judgment helps you choose the appropriate OKRs for any particular situation that you're in. Bringing that to your own experience, okay, so what are my objectives and key results for my career this year is something that is really helpful for you to be setting for yourself on a quarterly and annual basis. So talking to your boss, hey, well, what do you think I ought to be achieving over the next year? I'd like to set, okay, I've read John Doerr's book. I'd like to set OKRs for myself. When we're sitting here 12 months from now, what to you would be success for me to A, do in the business, and then B, develop as a as a professional? And your boss is going to have an opinion on that. And she'll give your, you her insight and talk you through her, her viewpoints. And you can interact with her along that. But the important thing is to set some objectives and key results for yourself so that you know, am I getting better? And you can demonstrably show that you're getting better. So that can be in your work. Hey, I'm going to increase sales by uh, 20%. I'm going to improve the marketing conversion rate by 200 leads. I'm going to build a system that reduces our latency by 100 milliseconds on the on the homepage. Whatever it is, those core business goals. And then the personal side, I'd like to develop so that I can achieve these things in my field or uh, complete this training or these certifications and setting objectives and key results like that are helpful for you in your career because they enable you to mark 
specific progress as you go through each year in your professional career. And that's really what the resume is for, right? It's a timeline of your achievements over the past you know, decade or two of your career. Thinking through how we can then flip this and start writing resumes based on, okay, we've done these goal settings throughout the year. We've really dug into this. It's something that we've been tracking and actually paying attention to more. I'm a little bit curious about how you advise different levels of seniority differently based on the resume. So if you have, say, a manager versus a senior vice president, are you seeing huge differences in their resume or is it really pretty much the same structure? It's just different levels of achievement. It's, it's same structure, different categories or the qualities of, of achievement. So if we looked at somebody in marketing, you'd say at the intern level, you want to be very responsive to whatever it was that your boss asked you that day and the things that they asked you that day. At the You joined as an analyst or an associate, the types of analyses that you did and the types of things that you worked on. It's a quantity of work that you've completed for your boss. I worked on 27 campaigns or helped 13 clients improve their marketing. When you're at manager, you're talking about how the resources that you managed and what you produced out of that led a team to do dot, dot, dot. When it's director, it's advising the vice president level or here are the different options that we have. And we can do A, we can do B, we can do the C. Here's what the consequences and cost of A or B or C will be. I advise C, but then ultimately the decision is probably at your boss's level. But your resume reflects kind of that level of uh, work. At the VP level, it's you're making the decision and how that ends up uh, impacting. And so those are the different kind of qualities of work your structure of work that you're going to see, once it gets translated to a resume, all of them have the same format, which is success verb, number, method. So success verb, something got better because you were there. It improved, it reduced, it grew, it shrank, it increased, it decreased, it maximized, it minimized, it optimized. Whatever it is, it, it's a success verb. It's not just an active verb. Active verb is, it's been the advice for the last 40 years and it's wrong because manage is an active verb. But when you say I, I managed a budget, that doesn't mean anything. Success verb, how did you make something more successful? A dollar sign, a percentage, or an absolute number. Look, my rule of thumb for people to improve the resume just as a start, folks listening today, go count the number of numbers on your resume, dollar signs, percentages, numbers, and now go double it. Because whatever that number is, double it, and you're going to have a resume of twice as good. So bullet point is success verb, a number, and then a method. And the method tells people how you achieve that great achievement you just mentioned. Increase sales 37% by following account-based selling. Improved efficiency 13% by reorganizing our warehouse logistics practices. So success verb plus number plus method is the most effective way for you to show off your accomplishments and achievements to a future boss. Because you got to remember, as they're going through that pile of resumes, at Ladders, we did kind of the famous six-second ice tracking study in 2012, which is when recruiters are screening resumes, they, on average, they spend about six seconds screening resumes in that first pass. we got 100 resumes to go through. They're just going to go through and like say, okay, well, who are people I'm going to put into the next pile? And so you got six seconds to grab people's attention, structuring it in this format of a clear bullet point with clear numbers or clear success verbs is the most effective way to get your resume pulled out of that pile and put into the interview list. Plenty of people, I think, are at least have heard this concept and have wanted to use it and have tried to use it and then said, you know, I don't really have the numbers. I don't know 
how much I grew. If you don't know the percentage or the total numbers, or you can't share them because you're under an NDA, how do you navigate that? Let me tell you, everybody comes to me with that, brings up that objection. Either my field isn't numerical or I don't have the numbers. And it's a nonsense objection. You're just, you're coming up with a valid reason to not do what's important for your career. So stop it and then sit down and really figure out what was it that I did. So let's take first, hey, I don't know what the numbers were. The next comment I'll have is you're a professional responsible for managing your own career. From this moment forward, you are now under notice that you must keep track of your own numbers in your own career if you want to be successful. So going forward, you'll do that. Let's say you worked on something in 2015 and you can't quite remember whether it was a 40% improvement or a 30% improvement or a 35% improvement. It's okay to be roughly right and say, look, it's a 35% improvement. It's not okay to be say it's 100% or 200% improvement and just make things up. You need to dig back through your experience and try to quantify to the extent that you can. And the closer you are to write, the better. So if in 2015, you worked on tons of client presentations, it reads much better. It's much more persuasive if you say, worked on 72 client presentations for business that totaled $5 million in revenue in my company. Look, if the real number was 60 or the real number was 80 or the real number on the revenue side was four or six, doesn't quite matter. You know, it's that, hey, I have 72 clients, you know, 5 million a business, you're in the ballpark for something that, you know, five years ago, that's probably fine. You're probably good with that. And then if you're in a field where you feel that you don't have numbers, and I've had people from every walk of life tell me that their field is not numerical. And it's just simply not true. Look, business is ultimately numerical. For-profit businesses are all, they're based on profit loss. Even a lot of NGOs and government agencies are these days. But you know, for-profit business in the private sector are profit-loss businesses. Ultimately, the entire business is graded on a number. I guarantee you that you're graded on a number, whether you see it or not. So I've had folks from event planning tell me that, well, look, it's really about the experience of the event, not the numbers. Okay, then let's create numbers around the experience of your event. How do you know the experience was better? Did you have customer satisfaction scores? Did you have more speakers? Did you have more attendees? Did you increase the number of bookings per month because of the quality of your... Ultimately, if you have a quality of subjective experience, it is going to be reflected in some quantitative number. Writing on your resume, I ran great you know, events. Look, everybody can say that. If you want to get pulled out of the pile from everybody else in the event planning business who says, I ran great events, the best way to do that is by by sharing numbers. On the other end of kind of the subjectivity spectrum, I've had folks in compliance tell me they work at you know banks in New York. Compliance isn't a numerical field. I'm like, yes, it is. It absolutely is. How many deals did you review last year? How many did you approve? How many did you stop? How much business did you support? How many salespeople were you covering? All of those are numbers that you can share in the business to talk about the successes that you generated as a compliance officer. So there is no field on the planet in for-profit you know, uh, sector that is not quantifiable and should not be quantified. And if you happen to think that yours is one, feel free to hit me on Twitter at, at Senadella, and I will walk you through how your field actually is quantifiable. I was just going to say, listeners, this is the guy you want writing your resume. <laughs> Go check out the resumes because, I mean, everything you're saying, they know, they, they've heard, and your team is going to help them get that done. We'll, of course, share more information for how they can find you in the show notes and, and at the end of this episode. But I had a couple last kind of parting questions for you, first of all, and then we'll we'll end with how they can actually utilize lead resumes. But 
we're in this crazy time right now. Of course, post-pandemic, things are changing. The great resignation is being thrown around, right? Lots of people are changing jobs. Has much changed in terms of how people should think about their resumes post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic? What are you seeing here? The basics remain the same. The quality of accomplishments or the, the nature of accomplishments that you're discussing in the last 18 months are certainly different than anything that we've experienced any of us in our professional careers ever before dealing with a global pandemic. And so your accomplishments will reflect that increase sales 37% despite the pandemic or despite working from home or despite, you know, distributed workforce, but how employers hire and how resumes are screened really has not. The remarkable part about, you know, where we are in August of 2021 is how quick this recovery is. Nobody in August of 2020 would have predicted that we'd be where we are today. Unemployment is almost back to the low that it was in January of 2020. Hiring is booming. It's actually a stronger employment market than it was 18 months ago because we had gone down so much and now people have to kind of catch back up. It is a remarkably strong, wonderful time to be somebody looking for a role. But the basics of the resume haven't really changed as a result of uh, the pandemic. Now I'm just curious, stepping away from a resume, what do you feel has changed the most for your space in general right now? Like, do you find that business is completely different for you or is it kind of the so, same um, as it was before? The, 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 when we look back on 2021, what it's going to be known for is the shift to uh, distributed work, work from home, remote, hybrid. It is real. It's permanent. We're seeing it at ladders in, in the numbers where the percentage of all of our job listings that are remote have gone from 3% in January of 2020 to 15, 16% today. And post-vaccination, you might have thought, hey, that'll decrease a little bit. It's still increasing 20% month over month. And the nature of the jobs that are, are being hired for remote are different. So historically, high-level sales jobs have often been remote. People kind of road warriors working from home. Tech had a lot of remote in the past. But now we're seeing marketing, accounting, logistics jobs all the way across the board. And so companies are decoupling their core HQ functions from being in an HQ. Hey, if people can do it from home, why don't we let them do it from, do it from home? You know, over the last 18 months, we've run this grand natural experiment. Can we be productive working remote? And the answer overwhelmingly has come back. Yeah, we can. Turns out we can be pretty productive remote. The next question comes up. All right. Do we want to continue being remote? And when you ask employees, the typical, you know, U.S. professional employee, would you like to continue working remote? The answer is, yeah. Yeah. I, instead of doing the commute, instead of going to an office, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be remote or hybrid. Those are real changes in how we work in the fundamental structure of kind of our live work society that it's the biggest change since World War II and how we, how we live and work. It is underhyped, underappreciated how massive this change is going to be. And just like post-World War II, the prominence of the automobile and the building of superhighways led to so many differences in how we live and work together. The rise of the suburbs, the rise of supermarkets, the rise of big box stores. We can't yet predict today what the changes in this remote work are going to bring to us. What happens when mid-sized towns and small towns have very high-end professionals living in them? That's not been the case over the last 50 years. It will be the case going forward that if you happen to like someplace, you can live there and be just as productive. All right. Well, now that small town of 10,000 in South Carolina, you know, that didn't have a population that was highly educated, highly compensated, you know, connected to uh, the world is going to have that. What are the implications for how we live and work and 
and think about our communities and our societies. It is an underhyped change so that when we look back, it's going to be as big as 1945 was in terms of changes in our society. I could not agree with you more. It's the beginning of a revolution, and I am going to ask you to predict where we'll be in the next 12 months. Do you think that we're going to still be talking about this change, or do you think we'll start to at least be seeing the kind of first glimmers of the answers to those questions you just outlined? The change is going to happen on a annual scale. Hey, the pandemic happened. It's going to last a year and a half, four years, five years, five whatever, years. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. But then the changes that it causes will happen on a generational scale. The next group of leaders kind of become CEO of Fortune 500s. They're going to have a different viewpoint on what's essential and not essential. Look, at some level, if you're a 65-year-old CEO of a Fortune 500 and you've spent your entire career, last 40, 45 years working in an office, it's just unlikely that you are going to feel that there's any road to productivity working remote. It's just less likely. Versus, hey, you're 40 and you're at the VP level and... You know, you've already kind of lived on planes and bounced around a bunch, and now offices are even more distributed. You're going to be more open to kind of those changes, painting with a, a broad brush here. So then the decisions that the Fortune 500 companies make will change on a generational scale. We won't really know what the implications are of 2021 until 2041. Well, we'll look back and be able to say that we had this conversation and your your guesses were on the point because yeah. it's well, very good at this happening. <laughs> let's, put a, let's put a follow-up podcast in the calendar for 20 years from today. 20 years from today. You know, Mark, this has been incredible. I always ask my guests this one last question, which is what resources are you leaning on today? I know that you have tons of experience under your belt, but what do you use to continue learning? For me, the, the biggest power tool is Twitter and everybody's got their own style on, on Twitter. Mine is, so I follow a hundred accounts. I think I'm currently a little bit over it, but try to follow just a hundred accounts. So if somebody gets added, somebody else has got to get taken off. If you think of Twitter as a social network, it's not if you think of Twitter as a information discovery tool. And so constantly adding people who are you know, productive tweeters who are slightly outside of my field of expertise. So they kind of challenge me or have a slightly different viewpoint is super helpful. It's the best way that I found to kind of consume a high volume of varying viewpoints in a quick amount of time that then can lead you to jump off into other directions. So I find it super, super valuable. The key, though, is that you got to prune it because if you get to a thousand accounts that you're following, you're just you're not going to be able to keep up with it. But for me, that's my that's my superpower. I really appreciate the like culling that list. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So where can our listeners find you on Leet Resumes and how does your process work? Yeah, LeetResumes.com. You sign up. We ask you 10 questions and get your current resume. And then we write great professional resumes for free. Tips appreciated. Most professionals tip. So that's how the business model is working. But we'll return you a great professional resume for free. You get to keep it whether you tip or not. And so that's Leet, L-E-E-T, resumes.com. And then on Twitter, I'm at uh, Senadella, C-E-N-E-D-E-L-L-A. And if you're looking for a great 100K plus job, you can always go to theladders.com. Theladders.com. Thanks so much for making the time to be here with me today, Mark. We hope that all of our listeners will go over and, and start having your team write their resumes. What kind of tips are appreciated? This is always the question I ask. What, what's a normal tip? Typical overall is like 40 to 60 bucks. Okay. Yeah. All right. Make sure you tip Mark and his team. I appreciate you being on the show here. Awesome. Thanks Thanks, so much. Really, really enjoyed and appreciate this conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.